GTX 1660, not TI. Is this NVIDIA's true 1060 successor? And what happens when you overclock it? Google's gonna stream games on Stadia, Lenovo's Legion Y740 gaming laptop reviewed snails and other mayhem. It's all coming up on Tech Thing. A big shout out to our patrons. Without your support via patreon.com slash tech thing, we wouldn't be able to make the show for you each and every week. Join the crew that makes Tech Thing possible at patreon.com slash tech thing. Thanks. I'm Shannon Morris. And I'm Patrick Norton. And this is Tech Thing, where we have something useful in every single show. And occasionally, shockingly, some breaking news. It was... Yeah. Okay, so all sorts of stuff happening the morning we shot this Tuesday before the show comes out. Um, I was all excited, right? Apple updated the iMac this morning. I think first time in like two years, eighth, uh, I want to say uh, ninth gen, uh, Intel CPUs, AMD Radeon Pro Vega GPUs, and then... Kind of out of nowhere, we realized that Google was running a special keynote. Not yes. a keynote, a special keynote from the <laughs> so Game Developers Conference. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, anytime you get to watch crazed, endless hallways with light at the end, <laughs> I mean, who doesn't want to watch that? Um, the big line, right? This isn't a console. The data center is your platform. Woo! So this sounds so familiar, right? You don't have to have a badass PC to play AAA titles. Uh, well, you don't have to have you're, no PC, right? Yeah. It's, that's the idea. We, it seems. Who Does it sound oddly familiar? Haven't we had several crash and burns um, in this field? So we have, we have. On live is one that actually works. But right. I've I've heard from a lot of people, especially like on Twitter, people have told me that even with like a hundred up or a hundred down, right. ten up, they still have like issues with on live. Latency is the killer, right? Yeah. So, Google's Stadia. In fact, they have a giant. If you go to the Google Play Store, you can see you can you can see the future of gaming Ooh. is not a box. So remember Project Stream? Um, that was Google's beta they launched last year. Let's play Assassin's Creed Odyssey inside of a Chrome browser, which is a pretty nifty hack. Yes. Google's like we're going to take it big time, right? And presumably they're going to avoid the fate of so many cloud stream gaming services because Google. Um, the demo was really interesting. They they were like we 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 found the least powerful PC we could find with the jankiest graphics we can find, uh, i.e. any onboard Intel graphics. Uh, then they switched the game to a tablet, uh, Chrome OS running on a Pixel Slate, then a Chromecast HD connected to a TV. Um, and the idea is that you can play your games anywhere they can get a Chrome window. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Very cool. Uh, use your existing keyboard or controller. Um, laptops, desktops, TVs, tablets, phones, and oddly enough, the Stadia controller, which reminded you of something. <laughs> it did. It looks like a cross between a PS4 and an Xbox controller, <laughs> but more so on the Xbox One side of things. Almost almost got a Switch feel in there, too. So that you can definitely see some, some comparative ideals that they got from those three. Oh, my goodness. So they, they say it connects over Wi-Fi. Uh, the idea is they can connect over Wi-Fi. <laughs> Since the Internet of Things meets gaming, um, oh boy, <laughs> directly to the servers in the cloud to give you kind of the best response. And they have a couple of interesting buttons on there: a capture button, mm -hmm. uh, which will automatically start saving your game out to YouTube. And then there's also Google Assistant built in, or Google Assistant, I should say, built in uh, with a microphone, so you can get help with things. Yeah. So the big question, of course, is latency. Yeah, I'm very curious about the latency. 
So apparently, uh, 7,500 edge nodes, locations in 200 countries around the world connected by a metric ton, well, several metric tons of fiber. Mm -hmm. Because they're saying at launch, they'll be able to do 4K HDR up to 60 frames per second with surround sound. Uh, eventually, they will be able to scale this up to 8K in the future. I was I was really impressed at how underwhelmed the audience, because the audience was pretty, woo! There was a lot of like, woo! Like, woo! It's a woo! And then it was like, 8K. And it was like, eh. Because <laughs> everybody knows nobody is playing games at 8K yet. And there's no, like, the TVs or the monitors that you do have available right. are so expensive still. There are several 8K options you can currently purchase. Um, to me, what was more interesting is their idea that you're going to have like near instant launch. Because mm -hmm. I, I know you've, you've, I've, I've heard your skull hitting your standing desk when you're like, <laughs> okay, I'm launching the thing. And yeah, right. I'm like, cool. Shadow of the Tomb Raider has an update. All right. We can get to it. <laughs> Yay. So they're claiming like near instant launch, uh, which looked pretty cool in, mm -hmm. in Game Developers Conference demo. Uh, the other interesting thing is apparently they did a lot of work with AMD. They're claiming 10.7 GPU teraflops and the idea that they can sort of bring additional graphics uh, power online for your individual game. So 10.7 GPU teraflops, you'll see teraflops being used to sort of rate like this is the overall awesomeness of our GPU platform. That's way more than the PS4 Pro or the Xbox One X. Matter of fact, it is a shade more powerful than a GeForce RTX 2080, which packs 10.1 teraflops. Um, I don't know what to tell you. We're curious. We're excited. We want to see when it happens. And look, kids, if you, well, if you go to store.google.com slash magazine slash Stadia, you can subscribe. Oh, yay. And All right. As soon as we can get our grubby little paws on it, we'll let you know how it works for us. Yes. Assuming that it doesn't cost a whole lot of money, because they might be announcing it currently, because mm -hmm. they're currently streaming the keynote uh, talk, but we haven't heard about pricing as of time of recording. But if we do, we'll definitely like tweet it out and get the word out there so everybody knows. The other thing they were really pushing was how you can develop on their cloud, your cloud, on your desktop. They just want all the developers uh, Ubisoft and Doom were amongst the launch partners yes. that were part of the presentation, at least as far as we got into it before we started recording. And if this sounds familiar, yeah, Microsoft uh, and Amazon are all working on similar cloud, either systems mm. for developers or games serving in the cloud. Mostly, yeah. I think uh, I think I want to say Microsoft's xCloud is for developers. Okay. Not my area of expertise. <laughs> I'll keep an eye on the gaming <laughs> stuff for all of us out there. Um, Let us know if you have any questions about the new Stadia or if you do want to see us demo it on a future episode once it goes live. I would personally love to check it out. Askatechthing.com is the place where you can hit us up or you can tweet us at techthing, at Patrick Norton, at Snubs. Phone versus laptop gaming mayhem. Ooh. See if it works, people. Last week, NVIDIA released a $219 and up GTX 1660, not 1660 Ti. Nope. Our friends over at PC Per got uh, pretty deep into the benchmarking. It is an interesting card uh, in no small part because, well, it's literally the new 1060. Uh, an excellent 1080p gaming card selling for less than a GTX 1060 did at launch. Um, very, very solid actually at 2560 by 1440p. Though if you're a 2560 by 1440p gamer, you're probably better served by the 1660 Ti, except Sebastian over at PC Per found something kind of delightful when he started overclocking it. This uh, low mid-range Turing GPU turns up really, 
really well. Really? Really, really well. Are we talking stock clock 1660 Ti performance for like 60 bucks less? Well, yeah. The $64,000 question is how hard is it to get to those speeds? And well, keep watching. So it, before anybody emails, we know you can overclock a 1660 Ti too, uh, but this is A, a less expensive card, and B, we love overclocking to get more performance for less money because we are who we are. <laughs> it's a thing. <laughs> and even if you, I like, you know, I also, for example, my AMD Radeon 1800X is overclocked 4000K, mm -hmm. 4000K. Uh, <laughs> I, I basically took that from 3.64 thousand uh, megahertz because I am for love more speed. Um, the 1660 Ti and 1660 really, really closely matched in a bunch of ways. The TU116 GPU uh, and the 1660 Ti packs actually not that many more cores, like less than 10%, 9.2 something wow. percent more CUDA cores. Um, okay. 1,536 to the 1,408 cores on the 1660. The 1660 has a little tiny 30 megahertz advantage in clock speeds over the 1660 Ti. It's barely noticeable. Yeah. Like if you even do notice. No, you're not gonna, <laughs> if you notice 30 megahertz, you're a better person I would, than I. I would, because I'm spider woman. It's good that you have your spidey sense. Uh, what's crazy <laughs> is the 1660 Ti has a big advantage in memory bandwidth, um, like six gigabytes of GDDR6, promises a 50% boost in memory bandwidth over the six gig of GDDR5 Nvidia paired with the 1660. And that may not actually matter as much as you would think. Because when you start looking at what's going on here, the benchmarks are not, um, well, okay, so let's take a look at this, right? This is, these are the clock benchmarks, or the benchmarks at the clock speed of the NVIDIA GeForce GTX 1660, right? Um, 75 frames per second on DX12 bash of the singularity. Mm. It's a whole two frames faster than a 1060, and actually, well, well behind a GTX 1660 Ti wow. or a, 1070, which is the last generation car. Okay. Now, as you start digging in, it's actually about 13% faster. Uh, the 1660 is about 13% faster on Shadow of the Tomb Raider, uh, running at 1080p, like 70% faster than a 1060 of Far Cry 5 at 1080p. Uh, the Delta goes as high as 27% on some DX11 games, which is pretty impressive. Um, but still, it's behind that $279 1660 Ti and the GTX 1070, the last generation card, which kind of makes sense. They are more expensive cards. Mm -hmm. And in theory, the 1070 sold for 350 for several minutes before it started you know, hovering around 400 and then climbed to the ceiling during the great cryptocurrency debacle of GPUs. <laughs> Things changed a lot when Sebastian fired up MSI's uh, factory afterburner overclocking software. So part of what's cool about the MSI card he had is it was running, uh, he could basically get 107% of the stock power limit uh, and then he maxed out the temperature limit and then it got kind of crazy, right? Because he was able to add 150 megahertz to the core clock and 800 megahertz to the memory clock wow. on uh, MSI's Gaming X. And so he was running stable at 1680 megahertz uh, with a, uh, a, a 210 or 2010 megahertz boost. So when it throttles up, that's just under 10% over the clock 1660 core speed. And then when you look at the benchmarks, because 10% doesn't sound like much. No. And then you look at like, oh, hey there, that's the 1660 Ti running stock. And that's a 1070. So it's suddenly, the benchmarks kind of went back and forth. Uh, you know, it's right up here against the 1070. The 1660 okay. Ti beats it out on uh, Far Cry 5. Mm -hmm. So, but this is a pretty huge boost because this is the stock performance and this is the overclocked performance. Wow. Or, you know, so you're talking about like 
you know, that's almost a 20% jump in frames there. And oh, that's here's cool. a huge one. We're going from 46 to 53 frames per second at 2560 by 1440. Wow. So literally, uh, with a few minutes work, he was getting 1660 Ti to 1070 performance. Now, like we pointed out, there were a few exceptions in there. Uh, What's interesting also about that is because he was able to overclock the frequency on the memory so much, he got a pretty healthy bump in memory bandwidth. Uh, I don't really plan on spending a lot of quality time figuring out how much memory bandwidth impacts 1080p games. I think probably less than 4K games because texture sizes, but that's something for somebody who's deeper into this field to go into. <laughs> so that was MSI's top of the line factory overclock $249 LED encrusted 1660. It does glow in the dark. Uh, I picked up an MSI Ventus uh, OC uh, which has a somewhat slower, like a 30, uh, 30 megahertz slower factory overclock. Okay, crazy night last night. There was benchmarking, there was overclocking, there was mayhem, there was experimentation with frequencies and memory. Okay, so let me start with MSI's Afterburner software that came with the card. They call it their one-click overclocking software. It's actually three or four clicks because they want you to go into the settings uh, and they recommend you unlock voltage control, unlock voltage monitoring, then you max out the sliders for the temperature limit, the power limit, the core clock. Uh, I turn the memory clock up to 500 megahertz because I'm told that's pretty much a gimme with performance on most of these cards. Um, then you click on the little scale next to the core clock. That opens up the voltage frequency curve window. The See, scanner window will open. Now it's time to select scan. And what it does, this is the one click part, uh, it goes and it, it, it increases the clock speed, it tests for stability four times, cover four different voltage levels. If it's stable, it turns the clock up and it does that until it has what it has, uh, what it recommends you uh, work with. So looking at the performance of this GPU, uh, and my goal, right, is I'm wondering how close I can get my $229 card to Sebastian's like $200. $79 card, something like that. He got 150 megahertz over the core clock, 800 megahertz of the memory clock. So uh, the in Time Spy, the 1660 at its stock, uh, 1530 megahertz uh, overclock, with like 30 megahertz over factory overclock, uh, the Time Spy graphics score was 5447 with my 1800X. So the factory recommended the MSI Afterburner was like, we can get you 106 megahertz over the stock clock. Uh, I was running a 500 megahertz memory clock. That got us a smidge over an 8% gain. That's not bad, right? Got us up to 5906 uh, on the graphics core and the boost clock was running up to like 2,055 megahertz. Now, just for fun, I turned the memory clock up plus 800 megahertz got almost exactly the same score as the 500 megahertz uh, memory clock setting. Uh, and then I got really crazy. I turned the memory clock back down to 500 megahertz. I overclocked it manually to 140 megahertz, which actually cleared uh, MSI's afterburner software. It's like, hey, 90% certain. And then 90%, remember that. And then I ran TimeSpy and it crashed. And I ran TimeSpy again and it crashed. And I ran TimeSpy, you get the point, 140 uh, megahertz over stock was not stable. So I throttled it down to 120 megahertz with a 500 megahertz memory clock or plus 500 megahertz memory clock. Uh, and that got me to a, a graphic score on TimeSpy of 5948, which is a smidge over 9% faster than the factory clock I had there and was so close to the 6023 on the 1070, uh, which I paid almost twice as much for when I bought it and of course is a much fatter card. This uh, 1660 will actually fit in the micro ITX case I'm building. So one, 
I'm really impressed with the performance too. I think they're doing some better work with textures and some other stuff because some of the games I played around with, uh, I feel uh, I need to go through and figure out what exactly I'm seeing in terms of uh, the, the specific graphical elements. Um, but a bunch of stuff looked like it was better rendered. Uh, I have similar performance to the 1070, which I'm down with, and I can actually fit this inside of a much smaller case. Uh, and 1080p gaming is fantastic on the 1660. And hey, I got uh, nine plus percent for free by playing around with the overclocking software. I'm gonna see if I can get it a little bit higher, but literally I was playing around with this uh, for hours last night and it's a rabbit hole I need to stop going down uh, because I should have shot this video like 12 hours ago. So if you got a question about graphics for your gaming machine or for Photoshop or for whatever you're working on, we would love to hear about it. Email askatechthing.com or tweet at Patrick Norton. And thanks so much. I've got another gaming PC. Shock. I know, right? Shock. 15-inch gaming PC is what? We never re review those here I'm on I'm actually Tech really excited about this one, <laughs> but I'll tell you why later on. So this is Lenovo's, one of their newest gaming laptops. This is the 15-inch gaming PC introduced during CES, and it just started shipping, which I'm super excited about, uh, though you kind of have to wait like three weeks to actually get one in because they're a little bit backlogged at the moment, but it includes updated specs. It's got an 8th gen CPU. It's the i7-8750H. RTX 20 series graphics. Dolby Atmos is including it included in here. There's a 144 hertz display option. And all of them come at a decently fair price. Now, if I scroll down here on their website, I can show you the models. There we go. This is the one that I have. It's the top of the line spec. It's $1,919.99. So pretty pricey, but it also comes with some cool specs on sheet. Is that a GTX, or I should say an RTX 2070 it, inside of that thing? Yeah, yeah, it is. Of this is the first the one I'm right checking there. out. I know, exactly. So for starters, you can tell that Lenovo is making their Legion lineup more professional looking. Mm -hmm. It's got a very, very sleek aluminum chassis on the outside all around with full RGB customizable lighting that even glows through the intake and the exhaust, which you can see through the fans here. So I have it set up to do this pretty rainbow. I was giggling when you opened it up because part of me is it's like, it party. does look so professional. And then it's like a purple glow coming out of the vent. Well, I like the purple glow. Nothing wrong with the purple glow. I was just <laughs> giggling because it's like so professional. And then it's like, I have flair. I have, I got flair. <laughs> I like flair. And it's also 0.88 inches thin. So pretty good for a 15 inch laptop. Now, as far as the ports go, of course, we're always interested in those. On one side, we've got USB-C Thunderbolt and a headphone and mic combo. The other side has USB 3.1 type A. And there's also the one key recovery button that they've been including in a lot of the legions. And on the back is a mini display port. There's HDMI oh. 2.0, USB 3.1, gigabit ethernet, another nice. 3.1. Then they have power and then the little Kensington security keyhole lock. Now I like that the USB ports are all spaced out so that I have a bunch of different options. And if I have like one really fat flash drive, which I do, <laughs> it won't get stuck next to another one of the ports. So I appreciate that. Now, of course, with other laptops this year, there is no SD card slot. And it kind of stinks, but I feel like that's a trend happening in the laptop market. I'm not seeing any SD card slots on any of the ones that I'm reviewing for any of the different brands. I was saying it's more of a, I think maybe more of a gaming laptop. It's a gaming thing? laptop okay. thing. Yeah, absolutely. You do see it on like uh, the smaller ones, right. like notebook style laptops, which is great. 
because I like having an SD card slot. Yay, content creation. 5.1 pounds, average for this size, but it also comes with a huge power brick. Let me get this thing for you. <laughs> Seriously, I didn't want to put it on set because it's gigantic and it's heavy. That's what's powering the 2070. It is big. Yep, yes it is. And it's bigger than my Alienware one. It's because of that 2070. Big 230 watt power supply. Yep, so I'm just gonna leave that down on the floor. The screen is beautiful on this thing. Now, if I unlock it, you'll, of, of course, see some gameplay on here, mm. which I'll show you some video of. But it comes with the NVIDIA GeForce RTX 2070 Max-Q graphics. That yes. is the laptop-style RTX for these style of laptops. So you will get ray tracing on here, as well as DLSS, which is very, very cool with laptops. It is a 1920 by 2080 IPS screen at 300 nits, which is pretty comparable to, like, my yeah. Alienware, about the same brightness Not levels. Not the best cafe. Like, you're not yeah. going to be super awesome with this outdoors, but pretty typical for an indoor laptop. Yeah, exactly. 144 hertz? 144 hertz, nice. which is very cool. And it's also G-Sync compatible as Even well. Nicer. Yeah, very, very cool. Uh, it's also got Dolby Vision packed in with HDR. It's so, a thing now. Yeah, it's totally a thing. So I can watch all my like HDR goodies <laughs> on here with Dolby Vision. It's super fancy. I just love that. I also tested the Legion Y740 against 3D Mark's brand new test. It's called... Port Royal. It's a 299 upgrade on 3D Mark in case anybody out there also uses 3D Mark. Averaged 3454 for the testing numbers. I have no other machines currently to test that against since that's specifically for RTX Max Q graphics mm -hmm. cards and RTX on desktop. So I didn't have anything to test it against. I'm not sure how those numbers will compare, but I will keep track of them in the future. I have a whole spreadsheet going, so keep an eye on all of my reviews of other 2070 and 2080 laptops that are coming out with RTX because we'll, we'll find out how that does and how it compares to other laptops on the market this year. So you're gaming at 1080p, did you get a chance to run any of the other benchmarks to see how it compares to say the 1060 I or did. 1070 model? Yeah, it totally kicked butt on Firestrike. Uh, no surprise since it's in a completely different market with the 2070. It hit 14,742 for its points. That's over 1,300 points better than my GTX 1070, which is running my M15 from Alienware. So yeah, it's doing pretty good, I would say. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Cool. Yeah. Skinny bezels all around, which also means that the webcam is on the middle at the bottom. You do have plenty of space for games. There's a 256 gig PCIe NVMe for Windows 10, and there's also a one terabyte 7200 RPM hard disk drive on the on the inside. I would love to upgrade this to like uh, one terabyte SSD, especially since they're so cheap now. Uh, 16 gigs of RAM is also included on the inside as well. There's no glass touchpad, and that was something that I wasn't too happy about. You can tell because it does cause a little bit of friction whenever you use it. Uh, the left and right buttons are separated. While I do prefer one fluid touchpad over separate buttons, these ones worked quite well, so I was happy with them. The keyboard is a bit springy, and it's very, very quiet. It's kind of like squishy, mm -hmm. almost. Uh, it's the same size as other 15-inch laptop keyboards on the market, but it is also set in the middle, uh, which is nice, but there's no space on either side for a number pad, which you can currently get with other 15-inch laptops on the market. You do get additional function keys, though, which are over on the left side, so those have things like keyboard brightness, customizations, and also workspaces, so you can switch all sorts of different things there, which is pretty cool. I, I do say, like that. I really 
hate having the keyboard offset from the center of the monitor to fit a number pad. You know, I <laughs> thought I was going to hate it, but I love number pads, and I've actually gotten used to it on my Alienware M15. I've tried it on it's a half It's hard dozen to get used to. I've it takes never... a long time. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a long time, but yeah, I, I mean, it's not for everybody. It, absolutely not. I, just, I, I guess maybe I type more than I game. Yeah. And I, most of the games they do, don't really need much of the number pad, so it's just like, meh. That's true. That's <laughs> true. Uh, there are four options of brightness for the keyboard, and the keyboard does use Corsair IQ software, so you oh. can change the colors of the LEDs, and you can see it is full RGB. It's beautiful. Uh, the speakers as well are wonderful. There's one on both sides, and they are facing outwards, so they don't end up getting muddy, muddy by sitting straight on the table or anything. They use Dolby Atmos speakers with a soundbar and an integrated sub with smart AMP technology for gaming. So then honestly, they sound really, really dope. Like they're loud, they're super bassy, they're very clear for podcasts and like watching videos on YouTube, watching our show on YouTube. Yeah. So I liked them. I loved them. Like they were really, really nice and I just loved how loud and bassy they were. Like I turned in uh, a Port, Port Royale, that new mm -hmm. 3D Mark thing, and it kind of scared me because I had it playing off to the side and it goes boom right at the beginning and I was just like, what was that? <laughs> Did my laptop explode? <laughs> yeah, I was like, what in the world? So yeah. Very nice, very nice speakers. Lenovo estimates that you can get over just about five hours out of this rig with their built-in battery on average use. And I can attest to that being about what I got outside of playing video games. It does go a lot less if you're playing video games. I would say like four hours or so. Now when it is running on battery, the fans tend to stay pretty quiet, probably because of their thermal system and the newer fans that are built in here. They have a lot more fan blades. They're a lot larger. It is very quiet. It is quieter than the Y7 1000p, which I also just reviewed from Lenovo, even with these upgraded specs. So it sounds like they took a lot of time to make sure that the thermals were really, really good in this laptop. This is good. Yes, <laughs> it's very good because my um, other laptops I have, my Razer and Alienware, those, I mean, they sound like jet planes. So I'm happy to hear that this one is very quiet. So. I mean, you can't even hear it right now. I'm not playing anything. Well, you're not doing anything with it. I know, I'm not doing anything with it. But <laughs> you like, hear it when it's idling, you know something's going horribly wrong in the <laughs> engineering. <laughs> what are you doing? I just, it, <laughs> nothing. Do you have like 2,000 tabs? No. Are you running a, no, no, it, it just, no. no. <laughs> so, do I love it? Do I hate it? Look, it goes flat. Isn't that cool? And it's purple. And it's purple. I would say that the specs really make this thing a beast. And rightly so at that price point, 2000 bucks. I mean, it is over two grand after taxes. It is missing a few things that I really like to take advantage of, like a number pad and a really clean glass touch pad. But it makes up for that with the really nice speakers and the screen and the graphics. Like you can totally tell that they put a lot of love and a lot of time into those specs because they really Really, really stand out and I gotta say it is a gorgeous gaming laptop I mean just look at this thing it's so professional looking it's so fancy and it has RGBs I just <laughs> I can't help myself so let me know what you think and if there are any other RTX 2070 or 20 are there 2080 RTX laptops yet on the market I'll have to check but let me know if you want me to review those as well and compare the specs of those with the ones that I currently have over here in the tech thing studio in our lab ask at techthing.com or tweet me at snubs I would love to check out all of the laptops and put Ubuntu on every single one do you want me to put Ubuntu on here I will <laughs> comment below <laughs> could be hard to control the LEDs
<laughs> it might, yeah. Komei emailed askdetecting.com with some tips to make your battle station or computer desk function a bit better. Hi Shannon and Patrick, my computer desk itself is not that interesting, but I recently made some practical upgrades, which I should have done long, long, long ago. I bought non-slip mats, the one for the car dashboard, and laid them down under the speakers and USB hubs. Now I can plug and unplug the USB cables and headphone jack one-handed. I took a Sharpie and drew a box on the top side. Usually there's a USB logo on it of each USB plug using a metallic silver Sharpie. Same thing for the USB the jack side, no more need to flip the plug three times to find the right way. Oh, so smart. Yes, all my mini USB cables have a green label near the end so I can tell them from the micro USB cables easily. The orange item in the photo is the holder for SD micro SD cards and USB thumb drives. There are many tools like this on Thingiverse and I'm grateful to the authors for creating them. I simply downloaded a model and printed it with my 3D printer. None of these cost you a lot of money and they are all very helpful. They're easy to search for once you know what you want. Cheers. Komai. Thank you. And I hope I pronounced the name correctly. Komei. Komei. It's Japanese. That part I knew. <laughs> or assume. So, Those are awesome, awesome tips. Yeah, and Komei included tips for everything he had in there. The Ganvold heat-resistant non-slip mats to keep the USB. I'm totally buying those. And speakers <laughs> from moving, silver Sharpies, and labels. And I also will say, as a geek, if you don't own a label maker, they're life-changing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love my label maker. I've used it for so much stuff around everywhere. Dymo, they make great label printers. Oh, my goodness. So good. Label makers. They're <laughs> magical. Sorry. I saw Captain Marvel this weekend, and now I've referred to everything as being magical because oh, Agents yay. of S.H.I.E.L.D. We'll put the links to those in the show notes for you. And remember, do us a favor. We want to see your computer desk. We want to see your battle station. Email askatechthing.com and put battle station in the subject line. We love your questions, your tips, and your suggestions of products and ideas to check out. Please tweet at TechThing, at Snubs, or at Patrick Norton, or just email askatechthing.com. And a big shout out to our patrons, patreon.com slash techthing. You make the show possible, our thanks to you. Please join the crew that makes TechThing happen at patreon.com slash techthing. We got an email from Tom who says, I caught your segment about SyncToy on episode 217, and you can, in fact, automate it. SyncToy has a command line executable as well, so it can be automated with Windows Task Scheduler. You can type c colon backslash program files backslash SyncToy 2.1 backslash SyncToyCMD.exe with no parameters to get the options, although it's pretty simple. The usage is SyncToyCMD with arguments, and then you can use TACR to run all folder pairs that are marked as active for run all, and then TACR name to run the named folder pair. Only one folder pair can be specified. And then there's TAC question mark to display this help. And he included some examples. He said SyncToyCMD-TAC-R, my folder pair. And then there's also SyncToyCMD-TAC-R. Just create a scheduled task with that command line version of SyncToy to schedule your backups and voila, from Tom. Thank you so much, Tom. That's awesome. I'm going to run it on my computer and make sure that everything works so I can show you exactly what you need to type into your command line prompt so you know how to do it. Oh my goodness. Um, free file sync, by the way, can run uh, batch jobs. Because I was wondering about this. Um, you can actually schedule batch jobs uh, from Windows, Task Schedule, Mac OS Automator, uh, or Calendar inside uh, Linux, which I cool. thought was really cool. So I guess Mac OS is Automator and Calendar, and then, of course, 
Where did Linux go? <laughs> Scheduled task in inside of Linux. That's and awesome. If you're feeling really crazy, you can get into real-time sync and automated synchronization inside of Free File Sync. And uh, part of the reason I bring up Free File Sync, of course, because it's Linux OS 10 Windows. Yay, cross-platform is awesome. What she said. <laughs> Let us know if you have any uh, opinions or any discussion topics that you would like to share on the show. We would love to share them with everyone because we only have four eyes amongst us, or six eyes if you include my glasses. <laughs> well, there are many eyeballs out there, and you might find something that we don't know about quite yet. Ask at techthing.com. Got a tweet from John. He writes, at Patrick Norton. I have to ask because I see you looking off to an area behind the camera in just about every episode. What are you looking at? Oh, at TechThing. He called you out. Well, there's a reason for this, right? So, first of all, I want to say I love the responses on this. Uh, he's running the same test from Buck Bonsai with a watermelon, writes N-Gage guy, Carl <laughs> Campbell, probably staring at some tech thing hanging on the wall. <laughs> Dustrick has always assumed it's a clock. Evan Adams says that's where the headphones are. Daniel Murphy says it's North Korean handler. Oh. Big Mike in Austin to make sure that Telexilla monster is still in its case, oh. manipulating a pineapple, probably a teleprompter, or watching the cats destroy something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not talking about cats destroying things. Darren uh, is stealing his tech. So you, <laughs> I want I love the responses on this. Those are great. Uh, yeah, anytime you can reference feline mayhem and buckaroo bonsai uh, is awesome. But it's actually me cheating my eyeballs towards the prompter so I don't get lost while Shannon's doing her thing. I like to look at my co-hosts when they're doing a segment because if you're talking, I want to be paying attention to you because mm -hmm. if we're on a two shot and I'm paying attention to the camera, you know, you can kind of emote openly, and it's fine. If we're going back and forth, like in the opening of the show, it's one thing. But if you're, like, doing 90% of the talking because it's your review, it's really weird to have your co-host just kind of like... Yeah. <laughs> just so, staring. <laughs> yeah, so you kind of turn because it's polite to look at people when you turn. But when you turn, you can't quite see the teleprompter, which is over there. So you cheat your eyeballs to the teleprompter to make sure if you're operating the teleprompter, the teleprompter's in the right spot. Of course, now you mentioned it, John, maybe it looks even odder to cheat to the teleprompter with my eyeballs rather than turning my whole body, <laughs> and I'll just look at a bunch of video and get horrified because I hate looking at myself on video. <laughs> That's why I don't watch my own videos back. I'm Whoa. like, nope, I'm good. Unless I'm editing it, I'm like, nah. <laughs> even then, I try to close my eyes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. David Germain posted on YouTube.com slash tech thing. 50 micron is 0 0.05 millimeter, not 0.5 millimeter. You're absolutely correct, sir. <laughs> uh, you know, I knew I was getting a tad comfortable with the tiny measurements, and thank you for the correction. In case you're wondering what the delete expletive we're talking about, it's uh, Monoprice's Mini Delta, which does 50 micron layers at its finest setting, aka 0 0.05 millimeter layers. So, cool. just wanted to fix that. Glad we got it. Yeah, big difference <laughs> between 50 microns and a half a millimeter. And, of course, we do want to thank Hack5 for the wonderful studio space that we have here. Make sure to check out the Security and Privacy Podcast over at hak5.org, which also just happens to be where I do one of my shows called ThreatWire, which is also on Patreon. <laughs> and then you can head over to shop.hak5.org to check out the Plunderbug, which is a pocket-sized LAN tap that lets you basically bug Ethernet connections with USB-C convenience. And it has a little Android app. It's super exciting. So you can watch it from your mobile phone. So thank you so much to Hack5. We love the studio space. And thank you to our Patreon patrons as well. Thank you. <laughs> Remember, ladies and gentlemen, once in a while, put down the phone, step away from the screen, close the laptop, and do something analog like my boys, who are heavily invested in studying the phylum mollusca via our, our local brown garden snail. Uh, which has a really complicated 
uh, scientific name, which I won't go into because it changed and I don't feel like getting the emails telling me that the name from back then is what it should be now because it's not, because people get very intense about their taxa. In any oh, case, okay. <laughs> the story goes on the brown snails in California, the garden snails, they were introduced to California. The, the mythology, the legend, uh, is that California, of course, we had this whole thing with miners in the 1850s, mm-hmm. uh, around when uh, Mr. Levi started sewing and riveting tent canvas, what we now call jeans. Apparently, somebody brought over a bunch of snails from Europe with the idea that they were going to breed them and feed them to the miners as a food Ew. source. And now they are everywhere. Also, there are a pair of snails in their tank now, and I'm terrified they are going to breed and fill their new tank with snails, uh, which, you know. That is awesome. Well, it's also, we could actually make That's escargot awesome. with them, but I didn't you know. You could? Well, you have to. Uh, it doesn't taste that good, though. No, 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 no. I don't like escargot. Snails, well, okay, I'm used to a Chinese uh, snail recipe from the Wohop in New York City, which may be oh. completely different from the way they do things around here. I did not know you actually... You have to go, you have to sort of put them through a strict diet, like a fasting program. Otherwise, the contents of their uh, digestive systems can be toxic to humans. So there's a whole sort of like seven-day feeding process to clean out your snail. What? Yeah, it's just like reading weird people's comments on on forums. The weird things I learned from Patrick Norton. Uh, You know? (laughs) Y'all should follow this guy on Twitter. He's Got some very strange facts. Random things that just didn't need to know. Well, it's also, <laughs> I was laughing as, you know, my youngest was like, you know, we can't eat them, right? I'm like, well, actually, you could. And then you start learning about it. And then all of a sudden, you're, well, there's just a lot of things I don't need about African, African, African uh, ground snails. What? They get like this big. Oh. They're illegal. Oh, in the I've United seen States. pictures of those. Apparently. Freaky. Well, first of all, uh, we'll see you next time. Uh, <laughs> We should say bye because we're about to get into the, oh, yeah. the really random Morse. stuff. I'm Patty Norton. See you next week on Tech Thing. Yeah. So apparently in the 1960s, a kid in Florida like released his three pet snails, which uh, were I guess were actually uh, like African ground snails. And they get massive. So apparently three snails uh, became 7,000 snails. Oh no, 18,000 snails was the estimate in like seven years. Whoa. Yeah, uh, and they, they do some weird and terrible things. Because it was amazing watching these little tiny garden snails like wipe out a piece of lettuce. Because they just start, you know, Dude. you come back 10 minutes later and half the leaf is gone and then like the leaf is entirely gone. And you multiply that by a lot. Uh, it's also interesting because my wife's being very gracious um, we've had snail troubles in our garden, and my um, wife's a very serious gardener. Yeah. So I was also laughing because my son walked in and he's like, um, can I get a can of beer? I'm like, excuse me? And he's like, I, I want to attract snails. Because have you ever done a, 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 a slug trap? No. Pour beer into a Why would dish. I waste beer? Because you want to...